Well, welcome back, everybody. I have with me today Floyd Wills, and he is the author of The Red-Haired Giants of Lovelock Cave and Other Ancient Mysteries. And Floyd, I'm excited to have you here. You have a lot of research underneath your belt, and you are going to tell us about The Red-Haired Giants and what you've discovered. So welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. And I'd like to thank your uh, listeners for taking the time to tune in. And I think we're going to have a very interesting and fun conversation on giants. And maybe we can go down some other rabbit holes. I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> I love it. I love rabbit holes. I love them. Um, they kind of get me going crazy sometimes, but uh, it's fun. It's interesting. And I think you kind of have that kind of brain too, that detective's brain and adventure and mystery and I think a lot of our listeners do as well. So let's get started. Kind of go back. Tell us how you jumped into discovering like the Lovelock Cave, the Red-Haired Giants. Tell us about that. Well, uh, yes, uh, that started about seven years ago. I heard a presentation by another researcher named Jim Vieira, and he does a lot of research on giant skeleton discoveries, particularly in North America. And I heard his presentation and I was fascinated because he would cite these old newspaper articles on these discoveries that went back all the way from the probably mid 1800s into the 60s of the skeletons that were being found all over America. And I thought, wow, this is wild stuff. He was talking about skeletons eight feet, nine feet tall, and some in some cases even larger. Some of them had uh, double rows of teeth or uh, six digits on, on their hands. And I thought, this is wild. I mean, it's interesting, but is it true? I mean, is this all just a hoax? And so I thought, well, he was able to accumulate, you know, a bunch of articles on this. I want to go look into this myself. So he inspired me to kind of research it in myself. And I started subscribing to these old um, newspaper databases. And it didn't take me long to start accumulating a lot of these articles on these discoveries. And so I came across in my research uh, information on the Lovelock Cave. And what really attracted me to that story was there was a lot of evidence as far as there were photographic evidence of some of these skulls that supposedly came out of the cave. There were eyewitness reports of people who saw these remains in a in a little museum called Humboldt Museum where they, they were uh, originally held for a period of time, no longer, and they were kept in the basement. No one could could see them unless you asked the curator, and then they would take you down to, to show you the bones. And then there are artifacts that came out of the cave that you can still see to this day uh, at the Nevada State Museum. So there was a lot of compelling evidence. A lot of the other articles I came across, there were very few of them that had any kind of pictures to them, any photographs um, or, you know, um, you know, different uh, forms of evidence, you know, multiple forms of evidence like the Lovelock Cave story mm -hmm. had. Wow. It is fascinating, right? I remember studying or, or, or kind of going back I, when I first discovered this, I'd always read about him. I was, I'm a Christian and I would read about him in awesome. We'd read about him in, you know, the, the story of David and Goliath, you know, and then you go back to Genesis six and really Genesis six woke me up to all this. And I was like, giants, like, how did I miss this? You know? And, um, but then I started to read some books and I stumbled across giants who ruled America and the missing skeletons the Smithsonian cover up, right? Dewhurst. Yes. Uh, Dewhurst is the author. And mm -hmm. 
it really is just a, an accumulation of these old like newspaper clippings and firsthand account. And so why do you think they're, I mean, I just, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Why the cover up? Why do the Smithsonian and others in, you know, at universities and such, whoever is doing this, why are they covering this up? Why don't they want us to know? Right. That's a great question. I, I frequently get asked that question. Uh, you know, for different for researchers, there's a number of different reasons. One of them is that, you know, we live in a very secular society, you know, that doesn't promote the concept of, you know, cr Christian ideology. And they're about, you know, um, survival of the fittest, you know, a Darwin's theory. And so if you find archaeological evidence that supports you know, what's written about in this ancient book, guidebook of the supernatural called the Bible, well, that's really going to ruffle some people's feathers. And so I believe that, that that plays a part into it as well. And, you know, a lot of these institutions, you know, they're the teachers, the archaeologists, the anthropologists, they're taught a, a certain dogma. And anything that falls outside of that, what they've been taught, it's all like they're automatically going to filter that information out. Yeah. I call it knowledge filtration. And I talk about that in my book. Mm -hmm. And so even if they're presented with evidence, a lot of them will sweep it under the rug. Although there have been some brave souls who've actually gone forward with the evidence that they've uncovered. But unfortunately for those individuals, a lot of them are ostracized. Some of them even losing their career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's too bad, isn't it? Because this is fascinating. And when you start to read the articles and you start to hear the testimonies of the people like the Paiute Indian, Sarah Winnemucca, who wrote yes. down, you know, these testimonials of her seeing these red haired cannibal giants, I'm, it's part of our American history and it's been lost and covered up. And I think now is the time where a lot of us are waking up and we're starting to question some of these things. And we're going back to the Bible, which I love because all of the rabbit trails lead back to the Bible. So, <laughs> you know, who knew, right? Um, yeah, it just makes the word come alive and it's exciting to see. So go back to discovering kind of the Lovelock story. Tell us, tell us what you know about sure. that. Yeah. it well, So the initial discovery was made in 1911. There were two guano miners who were, um, and guano is bat, bat dung for those who don't know. And it was used a lot in fertilizer. And I, I believe in some cases explosives. So there were these two guano miners that were mining Lovelock Cave. And then they discovered these skeletons and artifacts. There were literally thousands of artifacts that were found there. Now, one of the discoverers was named John Reed, and this gets really interesting because John knew about the story, the legend of the Rance and Lovelock Cave, because when he was 15 years old, um, one of his friends was named Natchez. He was the son of Chief Winnemucca, who was a prominent Paiute chief in that area. Yeah. And, and J John's, uh, uh, parents' horses got out from their farm, and they he went with a group of friends to go track these horses down, and it took several days to find them. And in the process, they camped out uh, outside of Lovelock Cave. John didn't know anything about it. He thought it was just a normal cave, and there was a downpour. And he's like, "Well, why don't we just make? Why don't we just go in the cave and camp out?" And Natchez says, "No, we're not going in there. There are evil spirits that haunt this place." And he actually revealed the story. Uh, to John, uh, the Paiute story of these red-haired giants that once lived there. 
And the Paiutes uh, called them by several names. One of them was called Sitika, uh, which means uh, tule eater. And tule is a water plant. And in that, in that particular area, you know, hundred, uh, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, it was marshy in that area because there were, you know, there was a large lake over there and there was a lot of these, these tule plants. And allegedly these giants would make things from them. They would make basketry, they would make clothing. Um, they even recovered duck decoys that came out of Lovelock Cave that were uh, very uh, finely constructed. And so they, they were known as the Thule eaters. They were also known as the people eaters because they were cannibals. Mm -hmm. They attacked the neighboring tribes. They were very violent and they would, uh, they would, they would eat their victims, even so much as digging up the dead and, eat, and eating, eating the dead or setting traps, digging pits uh, where Paiutes, if they were traveling at night, they might fall in and they would, they would trap them and then they would, um, they would kill them. So they were very violent. Yeah. How tall did you say they were? Well, the Paiutes described them as giants. Yeah. So the Paiutes said they were they were giants. Now there were skeletons that came out of Lovelock Cave. And what's interesting is those disappeared. Um, some of the artifacts were distributed to several different museums, and and some of those artifacts you can still see to this day. Uh, in the in the first archaeological report that was made uh, of an excavation in 1912 at Lovelock Cave. They said the tallest skeleton that came out of there was like six, I believe like six, four, six, five. However, there's obviously there's some discrepancies. There's there's researchers that believe that some of these were much larger. And what blew my mind is when I was going through the archaeological uh, first report on the cave, it said the largest of the specimens was giving to, given to a fraternal lodge to be boiled and used in initiation purposes. No way. Really? I thought, what is going on here? So the skeletons disappear. The public can't even see them. But yet in the in the record, it says that the largest of the specimens was given to a for local fraternal lodge to be used in initiation purposes. Wow. So I thought, that's a whole other rabbit hole that I'm going to have to go down and explore. And I do that in my book. And I try yeah. to track down. I, I think that, you know, one of this large mummy ended up. Um, so yes, they were giant. The, the Paiutes describe them as giants. Um, there were skulls that came out of the cave that allegedly ended up in a museum in uh, Winnemucca in that area called Humboldt Museum. And a number of people um, said they saw these skulls. I do have a photograph of one of the larger skulls and it's, it's side by side with some of the other skulls and it's a massive skull. And what intrigues me is if you look at the upper jaw, can you guess the teeth, what they might be like? um sharp <laughs> double 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 oh double yes 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 i've Pratique, seen those right wow. and, and we talk and, and it's talked about in the bible when uh when david and his mighty men i believe i don't know if it was in samuel they were fighting uh the giants there's one giant in its reference and it said he had a double row of teeth yeah and he had six digits on each hand, yes, six, and toes. six toes on his foot. Yep. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I felt like I was back in school. I got a little nervous there for a second. I was like, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trying to, put you on the, trying to put you on the spot. Yes, they were yeah. sharp too, because obviously they, you know, you know, better for eating. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's, I mean, this is fascinating. The fact that it's tied back to a Freemason Lodge as well is very yes. intriguing and you know, it, every all of these little puzzle pieces that people are starting to discover, they're all kind of clicking together and starting to make sense about this. Yeah. Um, 
I was talking with you before we started recording and I had mentioned to Floyd how initially how I stumbled upon to reach out to you, Floyd, was I was researching the Burning Man and the Burning Man area is about three hours from Lovelock Cave. And in fact, it's on the dried lake bed of Lake Lahontan there. And mm -hmm. so I thought, you know, this is odd because the people that do these things are occultists and, you know, Luciferians mm -hmm. and such. And I thought there's got to be a reason why they're doing it here. And so do you have any thoughts on that? Well, that's a very interesting connection that you made because I, I, I've heard of the Burning Man, but I, I've never, never researched or never tied that together. Um, but, you know, I think it has to do with, uh, you know, the, maybe the energy in that in that area or, you know, people, the land, people would use different terms. Um and it would make sense that an uh, that an event like that would take place in in some of these areas, especially uh, in you know areas where there was these giants, you know, and and other strange activities. I, I've traveled a number of different to a number of different sites. I went uh, a number of years ago and traveled to Ohio. There's the Serpent Mound in Ohio, of a giant serpent mound and. And when I've gone to some of these places, like I'm very sensitive to like the environment and, you know, different places I go to, I, I emotionally, like, I feel like, man, there's some kind of energy here because I feel, I feel different. And yeah. So Serpent Mound was, was one of those places also, um, Cahokia in Illinois, it was an ancient Native American city. So yeah, it, it makes complete sense that some of these places uh, would be connected with events like that. And, you know, uh, yeah, some people believe that the ancients knew uh, about um, the the, uh, the earth energies, that there's this natural earth energy. Some people call them ley lines. It's almost like when you think of acupuncture, how, you know, you have these acupuncture points in the body, these, and the, you know, the Asian concept of medicine is you have blockages of this energy and you have certain points in the body that, say, for example, acupuncture, they would insert needles in certain places to uh, to manipulate or free up that energy. And so with the whole concept of ley lines, it's almost like there's this grid over the earth of these natural energetic um, energy lines. And the knew about these particular places where they would perform their ceremonies or rituals, they'd build their temples. Um, that would enhance those experiences. So yes, I could definitely see, you know, that the connection, why, you know, some of these events would be held in yeah. these different areas. Yeah. 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 Thank you for that input. I, I definitely agree. I mean, you know, you look at the ley lines, you look at the parallels, like for instance, Disneyland in Anaheim is on the 33rd parallel and there's all sorts of different theories about that and how, you know, Walt Disney was in into all of the Freemasonry stuff too with yes. MLA. And so they all start to kind of connect. And you think about even Cain and Abel, you know, when he mm -hmm. killed his brother, the Bible says his blood cried out from the ground. And so there's something with what you're saying with the energy and how it plays into the land, even Joshua going to the promised land, having to clear out the land, you know, it's both physical and yet it's spiritual as well. So we have to yes. remember that, right? Like we are, we are physical. We live in a physical realm, but we are spiritual beings. That's the way God created yes. us. And Absolutely. Yeah. So when, so going back to the cave, were the skulls mm -hmm. found, did they have the different suture lines, like the skulls found in other parts of the world or 
Right. I think you're referring to like the ones found in Peru yeah. where they have a lot of the elongated skulls and they have different suture lines than a normal homo sapien. From the archaeological reports that I looked at regarding Lovelock Cave, they didn't they didn't indicate that they had different suture lines or any anything like that. But there, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions. I mean, these 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 skeletons disappeared. Um, obviously, we know where the biggest one went. It went to the fraternal organization, and and you know who knows where that's at. Uh, the skulls that I looked at that were in um, Winnemucca Museum at the uh, the Humboldt Museum, those disappeared a number of years ago. I reached out to the museum and I was inquiring about them, and they said, "Oh no, no, we don't have those anymore. We had to we had to repatriate those back to the native tribes." In the '90s, there was a an act called NAGPRA, the Native American Graves and Repatriation Act, which basically said if the museums had these Native American remains, that they would have to repatriate them back to the tribes, which is a good thing. I'm all, you know, I'm all for that. But I thought the answer that I got from the from the curator at the uh, Humboldt Museum was interesting because I said, well, I'm just curious, why were they kept in the basement when you had them for all those years? Why weren't they put on public display? And they said, well, in today in today's political climate, we could lose our funding, you know, so we didn't do that. And I thought, well, that's interesting because I know I know they've been there at least 40 or 50 years, long before all the political correctness and everything. And so it wasn't making sense. Like they go back that far. Why were they never put on public display like 40 or 50 years ago? So it didn't make sense to me. I wasn't really getting anywhere with that discussion. I had uh, communicated with a few other researchers that had visited uh, that museum to look at the skulls a number of years ago, and they were given a hard time by the museum staff. They're, they were like, oh, there's no such thing as giants. And and they even, so far as when they were looking through the museum, they would the lights would go off in different rooms they were going into, and they felt like some of the staff were just just being that rude to them. And, and actually, there's a a, a a photograph I have in my book that has uh, red-haired giants in a circle with a slash going through it that the museum staff posted on on their on their door because I guess so many people have inquired about this subject and they just kind of write it all off. Now, the the previous curator, her name was Pansy Lee Larson, and I think she passed away uh, at least ten years ago. She was a curator of that museum before, and she was very open to the whole story of red-haired giants and people that would ask about them. She would take them down and show them the, the skulls and everything. But since she passed away, uh, definitely um, it's it's changed at the museum. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. And, you know, it's such a shame, though, because it's such a rich part of our history that's been covered. I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't learn about this in school, of course. Right. And yet they're all yeah. over the country, all over the world. Um, I remember I lived in Southern, I grew up in Southern California. I just recently moved, but, um, Catalina Island discovered tons of, did you, Mm -hmm. have you just, have you read into the Catalina Island discovery? I have, there's been a number of, of large skeletons. I think L.A. Marzulli, another, uh, big researcher into the Nephilim, he found a photograph of a giant skeleton. Um, uh, Ralph Glidden, I think, was the amateur archaeologist that did a lot of excavations on that island, and he had, he found a photograph of Ralph Glidden with a shovel digging, and this he had unearthed this giant skeleton. It was in situ; it was still in the ground, but you could see it, and it was kind of in a crouched position. But even in the crouched position, you can look at the size comparison of 
of the archaeologist with the skeleton and you're like that skeleton is huge yeah. it's gigantic probably nine feet tall wow. eight nine feet at least insane it's fascinating so yes. it really is i mean this subject in and of itself is very vast but it's really really interesting and there's so much evidence for those of you that maybe this is a new topic maybe you haven't you know read about it in the bible or or researched it you really should because this is part of our history that's been covered up and it validates um, scriptural evidence where in Genesis six, it says there were giants in the earth in those days and also afterwards. And it just tells so much of the story of what God's been trying to show us, you know, and it, it's really, it's really interesting. But so what I wanted to ask you was um, I, there's also been red hair giants reports of the giant of Kandahar. I think it was in Afghanistan. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yeah. But before yeah. we move into other parts of the world, how do you like how do you think they survived or or do you think these Lovelock giants were just living in these caves caves for a long time? Like how did they yeah, yeah. how did they stick they, around? I yeah, I think they they had been there a while. Uh in the Paiute tradition, they were wiped out. So they finally the Paiutes got tired of the tribes being attacked. And they united with other local tribes and they had a war with the giants. And it's interesting in their oral tradition, they said the war lasted three years. And so to me, when you have references like that, like a three-year war, this isn't just some passing tale that was told to the kids to, you know, to keep them from wandering out in the woods because a red-haired giant's going to get them. It was a part of their history. And you'd mentioned Sarah Winnemucca earlier, and she was the daughter of Chief Winnemucca, the very uh, prominent Paiute chief. And yes, in their oral tradition, they talked about the giants, they warred with the giants, and ultimately they cornered the last of the giants at Lovelock Cave, and they threw brush in front of the cave and lit flaming arrows. Now, before they burnt the giants to death, they gave them an ultimatum. They said, why don't you stop what you're doing? Why don't you live like men? Because these, you know, this tribe was, you know, cannibalizing and they were so evil that the Paiutes were kind of giving them a chance. But of course, nothing uh, came out of the cave. Who knows? Maybe this, maybe these people didn't even understand their dialect, that language. And they lit the cave, they lit the brush on fire and burnt the giants to death. Wow. Those giants in that area most of them, I believe, were burnt to death. And there was evidence, archaeological evidence in the cave of uh, big black spots all over the cave walls that indicate there was a massive fire. And not only that, but there were projectile points that were found embedded in the rock at the entrance of the cave. And also, you know, there were bones found in there that uh, had the marrow sucked out of them to indicate cannibalism. So there was, you know, some archaeological evidence to support the Paiute um, tale. And and Sarah Winnemucca herself in her memoir said she had a dress that had the red hair attached of these giants, right? And so why would she, why would they do that? It's because it's very significant, like so significant that you put it on a special uh, dress. And it also, to me, it showed a respect and that these were mighty warriors, you know, and that they would have um, a remembrance of them. Oh, that's, Gosh, this stuff is good. <laughs> yeah. So she put it on her dress as, as she put it on her dress. Yes. And it would be interesting if someone could track that dress down, because if we could do some DNA testing on the red hair, we could determine maybe genetically, you know, who, we, who these people were. Now, there's different debates. You know, some people say 
that because um, the soil that they were found in, you know, it was kind of a desert uh, environment, that it destroyed the pigment in their hair that produced like darker hair. And so the pigment that produces red hair, your, your hair could actually change color if you're, you know, if you're sitting in these this desert arid soil for long periods of time. However, I don't really go along with that theory just for the fact that the Paiute said they had red hair, right? So the tribes people said these were a, a dis very distinct tribe that had red hair. And I don't know of any Native American tribes that have red hair, really, right? And it also ties in because you had mentioned earlier about uh, were there suture lines any different? And I said, oh, you're talking about the skulls in Peru. Well, over in Peru, in practice, they have skulls that are elongated, almost looking alien. And guess what color hair they have on their head? I know this answer. Red. Yeah. Red. red. Yeah. And that's not indigenous to Peru, right? right. So where did they come I've also seen, okay, that uh, that's a great lead in because I've also seen in other areas of the world that there's this red hair that is predominant in these kind of anomalies and mummies that they find. Um, have you discovered any other areas of the world with this red hair? Yeah. And, and, you know, there's places that you really wouldn't think about that people would have red hair. I mean, the obvious places would be like, you know, oh yeah, we know there's a lot of red hair people, Ireland and Scotland and over in Europe there, but over like in, in, in areas of the Black Sea, like Russia, Ukraine, you know, there's that area, Romania, Bulgaria, there's been, you know, there's reddish hair. And even in parts of the Middle East, there's people that have reddish, kind of a reddish or auburn hair. So it pops up in different areas on the Canary Islands off the coast of Spain. There were some indigenous people there. Uh, they were called the Guanches and they were kind of a mysterious people. They had red hair. And some people believe that they were descendants of Atlantis. When Atlantis sunk, some of them ended up on the Canary Islands. And I visited the Canary Islands many years ago, probably 16 years ago. And when I was there running around, I, there were pyramids on the islands, little step pyramids. And uh, yes, and that gets interesting because um, like, whoa, what are these little step pyramids doing here? Right. Who created them? Why did they create them? And so, yeah, you get the, you know, red hair groups popping up in, in different areas. And of course, the really intriguing one is over in Peru. Yeah. Skulls. Right. And then you, and then it ties into so much of even like the Egyptians and those, hat, you know, the long hats that they wore. The long, the long hats. Mm -hmm. And so some people say those aren't really hats. Those are shaped for their head, like Akhenaten and, and some of the other pharaohs you will look. And they had long, very elongated heads. Even Tutankhamun, his skull was elongated. And uh, especially with Akhenaten, if you look at the, the hieroglyphics of him, he looks very serpentine. Yeah. Looks like a serpent. Right. You know, his build, really spindly, mm -hmm. uh, very long head. You look at his eyes. And yeah, it looks very, very uh, serpent-like. And in, in my book, I, I share a DNA study that was done by a German researcher on some of these Egyptian mummies. And one of the um, mummies believed believed to be Akhenaten, DNA was different than all than this other group of mummies. And and this researcher, this German researcher, said that there was evidence that there was actually genetic manipulation from an advanced civilization that was done on Akhenaten. My goodness. As in the days of Noah. <laughs> As in the days of Noah. Yeah. I mean, and this is why I think personally, 
and you tell me what you think, but I really believe that the Lord is just revealing this to those that are really seeking him out and seeking his word out. He's revealing these mysteries, bringing them to light so that we can now take these pieces and prepare for what's coming ahead and it not be this shocking surprise, like, oh my gosh, yes. there's giants, you know, what do you Absolutely. think? Absolutely. I think you're spot on. You know, those who have eyes to see, let them see with ears to hear, let them hear. And not not all have eyes to see or ears to hear. And there are so many references, you know, you were talking about in Genesis 6, you know, even just that. And there's so many in the Bible. I, I made a, a few notes of so many places in the Bible that people can go to. But in Genesis 6, if we can just take a second just to unpack that a little bit. And Genesis 6, I'm just going to paraphrase that. There were giants in the earth in those days and thereafter when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore them children and they became mighty men, men of renown. So let's unpack that. Let's talk about sons of God. Who were the sons of God? There's a couple places that you can go to if you're curious about this subject. Um, look in Job. Uh, look in Job uh, 38. I, I think it's 4 through 11. And it talks about... Um, it talks about when the foundations of the earth were being laid and how and 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 who shouted for joy the sons of god shouted for joy and i'm sorry but no we weren't around at the laying foundations of the earth right so who were the sons of god that were with the lord shouting for joy they were they were the angels they were angelic beings right and also too in job 1:6 it says now now there was a day when the when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. Well, right. So who were they? They weren't humans walking up to the throne of the Lord. No, they were the celestial beings. They were the angelic beings. So just in those two places in Job alone, I think it's very clear that the sons of God talked about in Genesis 6 they were they were angelic beings. They came down. And so what does it say? The sons of God came into the daughters of men. Well, came into, they had sexual union with the daughters of men. And, and many researchers believe that these fallen angels came down. They were known as the watchers, and they interbred with the, the line of Cain, with the Canaanite women. And they interbred with them. And they produced what are called the Nephilim. And Nephilim is a proto-Hebrew word meaning fallen ones. And these, these women birth these giants. And in the book of Enoch, and, I, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with the book of Enoch, not in the, the canon, but it's very interesting book as far as context, because I believe it's the whole backstory of Genesis 6 that really tells the whole background of that. These watchers came down, 200 of them. It was even specific where they came down to Mount Hermon, in, in Syria, and, and the name Mount Hermon, that means Mount of place of desolation, where they came down. And so they interbred with the women, and not only uh, intermixing their seed, but they taught humankind these, um, these forbidden arts that God didn't want us to have at that time. I believe we weren't ready for that stuff. And, but they jumped the gun. And so they taught us the arts of war, astronomy, astrology, you know, all these different arts. Some people believe that, that they were laid the foundations of what are called the seven sacred sciences, which are talked about in Freemasonry and how their lineage goes back to the ancient mystery schools. And it goes back to this ancient knowledge. And then, and so then Enoch, uh, the great grandfather of Noah, you know, he basically um 
was it the giants, the Nephilim, were destroying everything and, 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 and drinking blood? Some people believe the whole concept, the whole legends of the vampires originated with the Nephilim, drinking of the blood. And how many times in the Bible does it talk about God giving mandates about you don't do, you know, you don't drink blood, you don't eat, you know, raw meat, you don't, you know, very specifics on that. And so the Nephilim were doing this. They were fighting amongst themselves. They were killing humankind. And here's something, Amy, that I find really intriguing. In the book of Enoch, it says that not only they were corrupting the earth, they were corrupting plant and animal life. And to me, that almost sounds like some form of genetic engineering. Absolutely. It sure does. And that's why the flood, according to the book of Enoch, that's why the flood was brought in. God brought in the flood to wipe the, the giants out. They had corrupted our seed. And what better way for Satan to, for his plan to corrupt the seed of man. So then the Messiah, you know, if you could corrupt the seed, then this Messiah is not going to, you know, show up. Right. But the plan failed because the flood wiped most of the giants out. It didn't wipe them all out. And that's why I believe in Genesis 6, it said there were giants in the earth in those days and thereafter. There were some giants that survived, mm. but those bloodlines became diluted. Yeah, They became diluted and the giants uh, went from being super large and to smaller. And that's why we get into you know, in the Bible, like with Goliath. He was, uh, you know, further on down the bloodline. And so even though he was like nine feet, 10 feet tall, he was, the bloodline had been diluted. And then we have, of course, King Og of Bashan. He was another giant. He had a 13, the Bible said like a 13 foot long bed, yeah. you know, iron framed. I mean, that guy must've been huge. The, the bed was framed in iron to support the weight of him. Fascinating. I could talk about There's this so all much day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just in Genesis. That's just in, in, in Genesis 6. And then we talked about Job and in, in Numbers 13, 33, when um, Moses sent his spies in, uh, into the promised land. And, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Yeah. I mean, if they're saying like, we seem like these, these things were so big, we were like grasshoppers to them. Yeah. And that gives you some concept. And that was probably dil the diluted line of the, of the giants. They were probably even much, much larger in that. Yeah, no, you're right. And you know, and that's, and I want to touch on a couple of things you said, because I, I really like how you put that together. So succinctly, um, you think about that language there in numbers. And I know there's some people that would say, well, that's just symbolic language. Well, we need to take the Bible for what it says. If it says that this is how it was, then, you know, we've got to take that into account. And knowing that there's giants afterwards and Goliath and his brothers and King Og of Bashan and the six fingered, six toed, double road teeth. I mean, guys, like this is this Bible that we that we love is to be looked at with truth. And it's exciting and it helps us piece of piece the puzzle together. You know, you go back to Goliath and I wanted to ask your opinion on this because I have, I feel like there's something there, but I don't quite know what it is, but he, he chopped his head off and I'm wondering, and you know, you think about like off with her head, like you hear that whole thing with, yeah. and I'm wondering if there, if in your opinion, is there something specific about the head that was done to kind of stop that? I don't know. 
don't know how to ask that question, but. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, I know in a lot of other, you know, cultures, uh, especially a warrior cultures, a lot of times the heads would be taken because that was the connection to the, they believe the spiritual yeah. realm. And so if you had the head, you had the, you, you controlled, you had that, you had that power. Now I know, I know David ended up with Goliath's sword later on, right? He, he, he had da, da, uh, his Goliath's sword. Uh, so very interesting. And, and with Goliath in my book, I have a picture of a replica of Goliath's spear. A uh, craftsman used uh, just the details out of the Bible and they recreated Goliath's spear. And there's a picture of this guy holding it. And it's so massive. You're looking at it and going, that is just amazing. And I believe in the Bible, it said like the spearhead alone of Goliath's spear weighed like 15 pounds. Yeah. Now to give you an idea, like I'm a martial artist. I've trained in martial arts for many, many decades. And one of the martial arts that I do is a Filipino martial arts. And we train with swords and sticks and things like that. So I know what it's like to be training with uh, swords that maybe are a pound or two pounds and just how heavy that is. So could you imagine, you know, a spear with the, the point of it alone weighing 15 pounds? Wow. is amazing. Yeah. And you think a spear, I mean, it goes out from the body. Like if you're lifting a 15 pound weight, that's pretty small in your hand where you can kind of, but you've got that, you know, extension of the spear going out, that's hard to wield. It's hard to wield. Yeah. I couldn't imagine like, you know, for me to swing around a sword that weighs a pound or two <laughs> is a workout in itself. Yeah. So to have a long shaft protruding away from my body with a 15 pound head on it is, is absolutely amazing. And talking about uh, kind of giant size artifacts out of Lovelock Cave, there were some giant size artifacts came out. There was a, a sandal that came out made out of that tule, that water plant. And I, and I, I was in communication with an anthropologist from the Nevada State Museum, and he was actually open-minded about the giants. I had seen some videos on him and, um, and I thought, I got to get a hold of this guy because he can give me information. And he did to a certain point. And then I started asking too many questions and then the communication just kind of dropped off. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But he did share with me. He he actually sent me a picture. I have it in my book of a, an alleged Sasquatch footprint with this sandal fragment that came out of Lovelock Cave on the on the foot. Wait. And I did the measurements and the measurements of that shoe size would be size 29. Oh my gosh. So wait a second. There was a Sasquatch there too? It wasn't a Sasquatch, but he just used oh. it as kind of <laughs> okay. comparison. Like he had this footprint. It was like allegedly, I don't know where it was found, if somewhere in Nevada, Got this it. giant footprint and a casting. And so he's like, oh, I'm going to see, you know, if I take this fragment that came out of the cave and just kind of compare it to this foot, you know, how would that work yeah. out? Yeah. Got it. Got it. I was like, wow, this got yeah. really cool, really fast. But it could get interesting because then there are some people that believe some of the giants when you said, you know, and I'm sure we're going to get into the Kanhar giant, but some could these giants exist today? And and some would argue that maybe they do. And maybe they're in the form of Bigfoot or Sasquatch. And in the area where I live in, in Washington and Oregon, and I'm, I'm sure probably in Idaho as well, there's probably a hotbed of sightings of Bigfoot. And then, you know, usually reports are these, these things eight, nine feet, 10 feet tall. So they would be definitely giants. Right. I, there's something to it. And I know like initially we like maybe let's say 10, 15 years ago, people might think, oh, this is crazy. You guys are nuts. 
but it's not so nuts anymore. I mean, especially knowing kind of the genetic manipulation and the hybrids that these elitists are making in these deep underground military bases, you know, that could be part of it too. Like, I think it is. I think it is. And, you know, uh, in the book of Enoch, it talks about how when the when the giants were destroyed, their spirits haunt the earth. Right. And I, my personal belief is with the development of AI and all this technology that that these spirits are going to inhabit this technology that's created. They don't have physical bodies but the physical bodies are being created. And so then you have what's, you know, what some people call a ghost in the machine. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I can see that because they need a temple. They need, that's why they roam around in the desert seeking for some place to rest. They get into a human or a robot or whatever. They can now utilize that and animate that the way they want to. So I I agree with you. Look at what Jesus, he cast the demons out of that man and he put them in the swine. Right. Right. They went in, they wanted a, they needed a physical, a physical body. And then they, of course, they ran off the cliff. Exactly. And then everyone's like going to Jesus, like, whoa, get out of here. Like this guy's doing some wild some stuff. Wild you stuff, know? Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's interesting because I think that it, it, again, like we were saying, it all kind of connects together it all pieces together. And so we go back to this idea of these giants, the six fingers, six toes, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the giant that was found in Kandahar was had six toes, six fingers. Can you speak to that? I I believe so. Um, you know, I, I have listened to the interview of the soldier that was supposedly involved uh, with the, the killing of a giant in, in, in Kandahar. And is that, that's in uh, Afghanistan, right? Somewhere out in Afghanistan. Yeah. In a remote area. And apparently the backstory, as I understand it, there was this giant out in that area and the local people, the local villages, they worshiped this giant as a God and they would leave offerings and whatnot. And somehow or another, our soldiers encountered this thing and then it killed uh, killed a number of our soldiers and then another unit was sent out and they encountered this, this giant red-haired giant and it had a, a spear and it was actually skewering people with it and they shot it and killed it. Now, I'm not saying that I, you know, that the story is true. I'm just saying what, you know, this soldier, allegedly the soldier is saying happened. It's an interesting story. Um, do I believe it's real? I I believe it could be possible. I would need more information as far as evidence. However, I watched the video and the, the gentleman's face was blackened out. So I couldn't see his facial expressions, but I was listening to what he was saying as he recounted the story. And at that time, uh, I had a friend who was a, a counterintelligence officer. And I said, I want to send you this video. Could you just listen to what this guy's saying and just give me your opinion on it? And he said, yeah. So I sent him the video. He listened to it and he goes, well, I couldn't I couldn't read his face, uh, you know, his facial expressions. However, after listening to it and my friend, you know, he'd been trained in like interrogation and, and you know, that type of thing. He said that he goes, I, I believe that this gentleman believes what he's saying. Now, that doesn't mean it's necessarily true, but he definitely believes in what he is saying. So I think there is some validity. However, I'm not going to go so far as to say this really happened. I would need to to see more evidence than just someone's testimony. Sure. Yeah, it was a fascinating story. Absolutely. I listened to the um, the interview as well. And it it was very convincing that he had 
mm-hmm. he had really seen something and well, and it seems they're always in these caves, you know, like the love lock, yeah. this Kandahar giant, uh-huh. um, or islands seem to be a big place for them. Any, yeah. any other that, spaces that you found where they seem to be? Yeah. Well, the, the native peoples talk a lot about, um, them living in caves yeah. in the under, in the underground, um, the Anasazi tribe have an interesting, uh, oral tradition of these giants. And they talk about how their, uh, medicine men began, um, practicing the dark arts, mm-hmm. the witchcraft in their kivas, their little ceremonial places and how through their use of black magic they act they open up portals and some of these giants came through these portals which to me would indicate we're talking interdimensional beings if there if there is any validity in that they believed that the giants came out from portals and then they attacked the the tribes in that area um and we're talking Anasazi I think like like Utah Arizona you know that area and the tribes actually fled for their lives and they had these pueblos, these, you know, you've seen those cliff dwellings, those buildings that really are, are amazing looking. And when archaeologists first found these, they found like weapons, bows and arrows, other, other tools that were just left there. Like the people just up and took off and they couldn't figure out like, well, this is very valuable supplies. Why would they leave this stuff? And of course they just chalked it all up to climate change. And, you know, these people just have rapidly left, but the, but the, the tribal members of the Anasazi said, no, it wasn't climate change. It was the fact that our ancestors got into the practice of black magic. And I believe cannibalism as well. Cannibalism was mentioned. And they opened up portals and the giants came through and started killing everything. But there are associations with the giants in in caverns Mm -hmm. and also even interdimensionally. Yes, yes. It reminds me of some research I did a while back, but it talked about the Grand Canyon and them finding some things in there. Have you, yes. do you have any info on that? I have heard of that story. Yes. Um, There was, uh, I, I believe it was, was it late 1800s or maybe early 1900s? Uh, Kincaid, I believe, was an explorer in that area. And he he found these this cavern system. And there was actually a map in the newspaper article, one of the one of the articles. And it looked like um, almost like the spokes of a of a bicycle of a wheel. You had like a central cavern and all these other uh, spokes, uh, you know, caverns that came off. And there was all kinds of different caverns with uh, giant mummies and artifacts and uh, just uh, incredible. Like he said, literally thousands of people could have lived in this underground complex, which is interesting because the, the native peoples in that area, they talk about in their oral tradition that there were these beings that lived underground. Yep. And I think they called them the Sapapu or, hmm. or something like that. They were like the ant people and they lived in the underground. So I know there was a few, a couple of articles that came out about, about that discovery right. of the Grand Canyon, but the Smithsonian, of course, they deny it. They say, no, this is just, we don't know anything about it, even though they were directly referenced in the article. Mm-hmm. We don't know anything about it. And I know some of the rock structures in the Grand Canyon are named after Egyptian, Egyptian names, Egyptian gods. Yeah. Yeah. It's all connected. And yeah. I mean, you think about going back to Gen six, Genesis six, and kind of even after the Tower of Babel, you think about these mighty men, you know, like we we've been talking about, and it's almost as if they 
usurped the king, the kingdoms, like they became the kind of the kings, these mighty men that ruled in the land. And it would, it would make sense that they would because of their status and their renown and maybe even, you know, part of their bloodline that they would be the ones that they would say this, this is our leader, you know? It's so, so true. It's so true. I, I believe that. And I believe the Lord just said to the people, like, is basically saying, you know, in your wicked ways, you're worshiping all these false gods. You want them, you got them. We'll let them rule. We'll let them rule over you for a while. Let's see how that works out. And yeah. And these people were oppressed. And, and, you know, it also goes back to the ancient Sumerian history. I'm not sure how familiar you are with that, with the Anunnaki. I'm sure heard of that name before i see a lot of parallels between what the ancient sumerians say in their clay tablets about the anunnaki and the nephilim and i believe they are one one in the same yep i agree i agree floyd and then you tie that into the native american people and they call them the, what the star people or um, yes they, that's one of the names the star. Of, uh, the star people yeah uh, you know the majority of native american tribes they will talk about the star people they will talk about giants and they will also talk about little people and in my research on discovering the giants i found a lot of information on the little people as well so i have a section on the little people and that's a whole other oh my gosh other... i want to yeah. talk about it <laughs> yeah we could do a show on the, yeah. just on the little people i think that would because... be a good idea just to yeah there's archaeological evidence. You've heard of the Flores Hobbit discovery in Indonesia. I have. Yeah. And there's a picture. So is that the one with the picture? Yeah, they have the picture of the of the skull, a uh, little tiny skull. And it, you know, the the Flores Hobbit is on the Isle of Flores in Indonesia. And they were discovered, in, I, th I think, in the early 2000s in a, a place called Lombau Cave, a huge cavern system. And they found these little bones, a little skull tiny and it had the wisdom teeth in it and so these little beings didn't get taller much taller than three feet they were smart they had tools they had projectile points they knew how to make fire they found um the remains of komodo dragons in their cave uh which leads some to believe they were hunting komodo dragons which was pretty amazing if you've seen what a komodo dragon looks like yeah Yes, uh, and they're gigantic, and they have sharp teeth and poisonous bites. And right. these little people were hunting these Komodo dragons. Oh my gosh, that's a good teaser. Yeah, that's a good. We, I really do want to have a show just on that because I think yeah. that that would be fascinating. I, I don't know yeah. much about the little people, but I, you know, what always has intrigued me is. You think about the movies that they show in Hollywood and you think about the, the fairy tales that we were read to as kids yeah. and there's always giant, right? Like Paul Bunyan or the Jolly Green Giant or, you know, like the little hobbits and the little people that are in cartoons and such. Where do we think they got this from? Right. Right. Yeah. I think the more we go back and look at our history and the more information that's coming out in the archaeological realm, it's verifying that our world in ancient times was much more closer to J.R. Tolkien's vision yeah. than what we might think. And also, too, there are the Denisovans. And I'm, have you heard of the De Denisovans? I haven't. What is that? Okay, they were discovered. I mentioned that in my book. Uh, they were first discovered in 2010 in Siberia. There was an excavation going on in a cave. 
and they found a giant tooth and they found knuckle bones and they found um archaeologists found artifacts like a a green stone bracelet that had eight millimeter little tiny holes drilled into this stone bracelet, which was astonishing because they they said the bracelet goes back about 40,000 years. Um, and anyway, they did the genetic sequencing on the tooth and the knuckle bones. And the tooth was so large, the archaeologist at first thought it was a cave bear. It was so large. But after doing the DNA sequencing, they, the, they've determined, uh, paleoanthropologists have determined that they are another branch of us, you know, like with Neanderthal, yeah. they said this is another branch and they named them the Denisovans. Now, since that discovery, there's a full skull of a Denisovan that came out of China. They call it Homo longi, which means dragon skull. And it's a massive skull, a huge football shaped skull. In fact, I have a replica. You want me to grab it yes. so you can see it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so this is a this is a replica of of Homo longi, and it's it's uh, football shaped, and you can see from the front it has very very large eye sockets. It has a very pronounced uh, brow ridge, just very very big big skull. So this is an exact replica of the of the Homo longi, and that story is really interesting because. This skull, uh, the Homo longi, was discovered in the 1930s by a, a Chinese worker who was under forced labor by the Japanese who had occup occupied that particular area of China. And he was building a bridge and in the process unearthed this skull and he hid it. He knew that if he gave it to the Japanese, he'd never see it. So he hid it in a well. And this man lived to a very uh, old age and on his deathbed, he revealed to his children he had found the skull and where to find it. So they went, retrieved the skull from the well, and now they gave it to the local universities. And then they did the DNA sequencing and found that it matched with the giant tooth and the knuckle bones that were found in Siberia. So they believe that it is a Denisovan skull. And some researchers believe that based on the skull and the other bone fragments that we have, the average height of the Denisovans were um, about, what was that? It was like seven, over seven feet. Yeah, over seven feet, seven foot two or something. It was very large, very large, yeah. like seven and, a, yeah, seven and a half feet average. We're talking average height. Goodness, right? like a basketball team. And, <laughs> yes, and, and we're finding now of the DNA of the Denisovans in certain populations. We find them in uh, some of the Native American people uh, in Papua New Guinea, and there are some people over in Europe. And then we have the whole thing where, where the geneticists are telling us that many of us have Neanderthal DNA in us, that our ancestors interbred with Neanderthal. And now they're saying the Denisovans interbred with Neanderthal and with our ancestors. So you had all this inter interbreeding, intermixing. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. I, a quick story. I, um, I shared on my Instagram page, um, some giant stuff and I had a gal message me and she told me that it was either her, I think it was her great grandma, um, grew up in a town in the middle East, a little town. And she used to tell this woman stories about, the builders who she would come up to their waist and they were these big men and they, in the town or the little city called them the builders. And I just thought that was fascinating because it was here, here it is just kind of more evidence, right. Of 
these kind of, you know, testimonials, but just leaning in towards the fact that there, there is something, there is credence to this. There is literal science, if you will, to back this up and archeological finds. Um, It would be fascinating to just go rummage through the Smithsonian or under the Vatican, wouldn't it? Oh my goodness. I would love that. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And you're you're right. You know, uh, the more archaeological evidence that comes out in my what I see, it it is it supports the Bible. It doesn't contradict. Like there was just a a recent article that came out. I don't know if you've heard this underneath us, about 400 miles beneath us. There is water. There are oceans underneath the earth. And it's like it's like several times over the amount of water that we have on the surface we have below the earth. And what does it say during the great the great deluge, the great flood? The springs of the great deep were broken open. They were opened up, right? So it was all that wasn't just come water wasn't just coming from the sky. It was literally coming up from the earth. And now we have evidence and mind blowing that wow, beneath our feet, 400 miles down, there are there are three times, four times as much water down there as there, there is on the surface of the earth. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of mystery about the deep, isn't there? T home, right? Um, yes. Yeah. I, I recently in the last few months did a really deep dive biblically and culturally um, on kind of the water kingdom, water spirits, like what the Bible says about that. And there is a lot to that, that a lot of people really don't understand. And, you know, I don't say I understand it all either, but there's a lot of mystery there to your point. And so much of the the ocean hasn't been discovered, you know, or mapped or what have you. So really interesting stuff. This is fascinating. I, I recently had on a guest who is similar to us, Floyd in the research and just the biblical worldview, but he Mm -hmm. tied these red haired giants and has done a, a vast amount of research to our modern day clowns. And how these clowns with the big grins and the the white and the red hair, fascinating as well. And oh, I, that is interesting. I've never never heard that before. But I would be very curious to to hear what he has to say. And, and you said this was a recent podcast that was done. I'll have to go back and and uh, listen to that. Very very interesting. But yeah, like you'd mentioned earlier, I mean, we have all these movies. We have these these so-called myths and legends talking about these different beings, about the giants, about the little people. You have like the, the tale of the Titans that fought against the gods and then they were punished and then they were put imprisoned in the volcanoes in the earth. Well, then in the book of Enoch, you hear about the watchers that were imprisoned in chains in the earth, right? So you have all these different parallels from all these different cultures from all over the world. And yet they're telling very, very similar stories. Yeah. We have to pay attention to that. Right. And you, and when you go back to the baseline and our foundation of this, of scripture, you see how Satan has twisted, twisted it slightly. And yet there's still that, that common denominator of the main biblical narrative and the extra biblical, um, book of Enoch one, right. Where it talks about that. And it does, it gives you more light as to what was going on because this is what I told, I, I ran a couple Bible studies online and we're going through Genesis right now. And I said, I told, you know, the people in the Bible study, I said, you know, it would have had to been really, really bad for God to flood the whole earth. I mean, these people weren't just, you know, 
running around, like, you know, lying to each other. There was major stuff going on, wicked, wicked, wicked stuff for God to look down and it grieve him in his heart and say, no more. So, yeah. That is so true. In fact, it reminds me of Jude 6 through 7. It says, and the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal chains under the gloomy darkness until the day of judgment of the great city, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which indulged in gross immorality and pursued, listen to this, they pursued strange flesh. They pursued strange flesh as an example um, of, a what does it say? Of an example of punishment of eternal fire. So basically what it's saying is they pursued, I believe, this is my interpretation of what Jude is saying, that it's talking about they pursued strange flesh. And I'm not, I don't think that's going into just the whole homosexuality thing, because obviously we know that's that's a sin. Strange flesh is referring to human and angelic interaction. Yep. And look, when the angels came to, to Sodom and Gomorrah, what did the people try to do when they saw the angels? Yeah. They wanted to know them, to, right? To know them, not to chit chat and have some. Not to chit chat. <laughs> We're not talking chit chat. Right. They want to know them, and if you read the Bible, yep. you know that what that term means. Exactly. So I believe there's a lot of other passages that have evidence, not not just um, in the uh, uncanonized books like Enoch, you know, but I, just in the canonized books of the Bible. If you know where to look yeah. and you start putting the puzzle pieces together, I think it's it's there. And it clearly points to what you're saying, because how many times have we messed up? How many times has God's chosen people in the Bible messed up, but God took them back and didn't didn't destroy, say, oh, I'm going to destroy the earth, right? Exactly. So it had to be really, really, really bad for him to just say, I regret, you know, my creations. I'm going to wipe most everything out. And what do you talk about Noah is that he was pure in his generation, not that he was just a righteous man, but I believe that the blood, his bloodline, that the bloodline was pure. Me too. So, yeah, I do. Yeah. And, you know, kind of, kind of circling back to what we initially talked about, how this will help us in these days to come to understand, because to your point, Floyd, when you're talking about the, the deluge, the flood, you're talking about the um, Sodom and Gomorrah, the fire and brimstone. And in the Bible and scripture, it talks about tying those two events into the end days. And so it behooves us to understand, wait a second, what happened in those days? Well, where there were giants, well, the angels came down and made it. So what are the commonalities? Angels, humans, angels, humans, wrath, right? And so this, in my opinion, is going to be what we're going to see in the end, because it, it coincides with God's, what he's trying to tell us in his scripture guys, this is what's going to happen in the end. And I I mean, we're probably seeing a lot of it and maybe we don't even realize, you know, do they walk amongst us? Right. Absolutely. And and my personal opinion is that um, we're going to have ETs are going to be involved. Aliens are going to be involved. That's the next, that's the real big thing. And a lot of people are going to be deceived. Now, in my opinion, my personal belief, I do believe there are there are other civilizations more advanced than us 
that there are other uh, other beings. I I believe God is a creator. He that's what he does. He creates. That's what he does. So in my opinion, you know, why would he just create us? You know, like it'd be like Picasso painting his master picture and go, oh, I created one. I'm I'm done. I'm never going to do anything again. So I believe that there are other advanced civilizations. Um, however, I do believe in the story of the fallen angels as well, intermixing with our seed, manipulating the DNA. And I, I believe that they're trying to return. They're trying to take the physical bodies and they're trying to trying to return here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm me too. And we're heading there pretty quick guys. So we're heading there. And I believe a lot of people yeah. would fall for it if the UFOs and our government has the technology, if they wanted to create a staged event, we most certainly could do that. And, and my trust for my trust for the for the government has gone way down, especially in the last three years, four years. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's really time to dust your Bibles off and, you know, dig in. It's a book like no other. And it, it, you would be missing a whole chunk the read the listeners I'm talking about if you didn't at least consider taking the Bible into as an as as evidence written evidence of of creation and and what how God made the earth I mean there's archaeological evidence that supports the Bible and that's just one thing I mean I believe it's it's you know Holy Spirit inspired onto men yes. and re- they wrote that that's part of it as well but you are seeing s- archaeological evidence testimonial Enoch Josephus Tacitus you see all these other extra biblical authors who support the Bible you gotta you gotta know it guys and so as we kind of wrap up Floyd I I've really enjoyed this conversation I definitely want to have you back on for the little people because that sounds fascinating but tell tell the listeners why how, how do we bring hope into this how do we kind of why do we need to know this? How does this help us navigate? And I think we touched on it, but but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you just did a, a great job, you know, touching on it. It just it just helps us understanding this helps us to prepare for for what's coming. Yeah. And you know, my my belief is, you know, get in, get into the word, study the word, fellowship with other Christians, get into the word together in community. And I've, I've started doing that uh, at my church. I, I meet with a men's group. We do, we do a Bible study once a week. Um, and then I have a Bible reading partner that I get together once a week with. We check in with each other, talk about life. We pray for each other. One of us will read 15 minutes. Uh, and then the other gentleman will read 15 minutes. And then one of us will close in prayer. It's really getting back to basic. I started to do this with my oldest son who is 16 and it blew me away that he even wanted to do it i thought well i asked him the worst he could do is say no and he did and so we've had like five five readings together every week we do that and that has opened up deep conversation deep about life about spirituality and just get into the word go back to the basics right Go back to the base, get into the word, not just by yourself, but with community, partner up with someone and get into the word. And when you learn more about the, like the Nephilim and the giants, it makes me look at the Bible in a whole other light before I knew all this stuff. And a lot more things started to make sense. And I'm not saying that every single thing in the Bible makes sense to me because I'm still trying to figure things out, but learning these other pieces of the puzzle has really helped may have a deeper understanding of God's word. Yeah. I love that. I love that you're sharing it with your son. And I think that's, I think that's great because I think we don't, we, we give our kids 
We don't give them enough credit, right? In the sense of like, just read the word to them. There, God will open their minds and he will allow yes. them to understand. And the Bible is so cool. I mean, we've got giants, we've got angels mating with humankind. I mean, what what 16-year-old boy wouldn't like all this, right? <laughs> and my son knows about this yeah. because he knows about my research. And and so it's just amazing the doors that it's opened up. And and sometimes I'll check in with him. How's your Bible reading? Because the commitment is that you read a half an hour by yourself every day. And then we get together once a week. And he's like, Yeah, it's good, Daddy. He goes, Sometimes, you know, it's a little slow reading because I'm finding stuff and I'm not quite understanding or I want to find out more about it. So I'll do some research into it. And I thought, wow, like, like here, I didn't even think he would do this with me. And now I'm finding out not only is he doing this with me, but he's going off on his own and he's researching deeper into some of these things that he's discovering in the, in the Bible. Yeah, that is wonderful. That's, that's hope right there. And I think that, I hope that encourages somebody listening to, get your kids involved. They're the next generation. And, you know, scripture says, tell the generations and the generations after, you know, teach them about my word, teach them what I've done. And we got to, we got to get back to basics. Like you said, Lloyd, and start teaching them these things that, that God wants us to know and to help us navigate in the end. And I just, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate our time together. And uh, yeah, I've had a great uh, time. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to having you back to talk about the little people. So yeah, we'll save it for Let's then. <laughs> All righty. Well, have a great, a great day, you guys. And we will see you next time.